Hi, Sarah here. I'm one of the co-hosts of Female Founders Weekly, and this episode is sponsored by my company, Hostel Pass. Hostel Pass is a digital discount card for the best of European travel, especially the best hostels. I started this company after my own travels, where I was on a really tight budget, which meant I ended up in some pretty horrible accommodation situations. That's why I spent the next six years finding and partnering with the best hostels all across Europe, the kinds of places that travelers and their parents would feel good about. We've now got hundreds of hostels on our platform and we've managed to secure exclusive discounts and bonuses like free welcome drink, late checkout, or free breakfast at every single hostel. We don't just have hostels on Hostel Pass. You can also find discounts on museums, walking tours, river cruises, food tours, e-sims, and so much more. If you're looking to join the thousands of travelers using Hostel Pass to save big on their trip, use code FFW at checkout to take 20% off your first year of membership. Check us out at hostelpass.co. That's H-O-S-T-E-L-P-A-S-S dot C-O. And code FFW for 20% off at checkout. Thanks for listening. Hi, Sarah here. And this week on Female Founders Weekly, we have Joanna Griver, who is here to talk to us about everything fundraising. If someone asked me to come up with a dream resume for someone we could talk to about fundraising, I don't think it would even come close to Joanna's actual resume. After studying computer science at Edinburgh, Joanna went straight to PwC, but she's always had the entrepreneurial bug, so she left PwC to start doing some software development for a few different health tech and fintech startups. She then took the leap to start her own health tech startup, which was aimed at helping couples identify reproductive health issues. She ran that company for about a year and then moved on to work at the crowdfunding company Crowdcube before settling into her current role on the investments team at Fuel Ventures. Joanna is passionate about female founders and creating equity in this space, so we are absolutely honored to have her on the podcast today. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. I have been at Fuel Ventures for about six months, working in the investment team for early stage startups. Fuel is an early stage fund in the UK, one of the most active ones, particularly a pre-seed and seed. It's a sector agnostic fund, you know, originating from entrepreneurs. Yeah. Could you quickly define what pre-seed and seed and Series A mean? Because I think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast are just starting to get into business and thinking about taking that leap. Um, and might not know about those terms. Yeah, no, 100%. And you'll find that venture capital is like littered with acronyms and terms that <laughs> actually are not really that complicated, but people in the industry like to make them sound complicated. And this is one example of them. So when we talk about like pre-seed, seed, series A, really what we're talking about is funding rounds. In layman's terms, pre-seed is the very first round of funding that you do. Um, and then kind of every round that you do subsequently following that will just be, you know, seed and then go series A, series B and so forth. So pre-seed and seed are, are the, the very first kind of rounds that you would do in venture capital funding. And those are the rounds that your Fuel Ventures firm focus on specifically? Yeah. So at Fuel, we've got two teams, um, one that deals with pre-seed investments, which is the one that I sit in. Um, so that's the, the kind of first check traditionally into a company. And then you've got your seed fund um, and they do slightly kind of later stage. So to put it into perspective, the companies that we invest in at pre-seed will be sort of post MVP, but might be pre-revenue, whereas the seed team will be looking at companies that are already generating, you know, 20, 30,000 a month of recurring revenue, for example, and might have kind of decent traction because of that and will be a little bit later down, down the line. 
they invest just right. to put into perspective, we invest about 150,000 per company and they invest on average between one to three million per company. So right. it's companies Big that are at a later stage <laughs> and need more capital to do other things. Perfect. So as you're in the pre-seed um, area, and I think most of our listeners will be looking for pre-seed soon, if not now, um, what do VCs look for in a pre-seed company? Yeah, great question. I think you'll find that different pre-seed investors will say slightly different things. And it depends on kind of what you're looking for. And that's, if the, let me put it this way, if there was a formula for the perfect company, then everybody <laughs> would be doing it. But I think mm -hmm. kind of generally speaking, there's a few things that we all look for. So number one is having the right team. And that can be defined in a bunch of different ways. But I think key things are, you know, do these people have the expertise or the knowledge, domain knowledge to be able to dominate that space? Um, do they have the right attitude to do it? Like sometimes, you know, do, or do you think that they're a hustler? Do you think that they persevere? Do you think they're resilient? They're adaptable? Do you think that they're able to sell well? As a founder, a lot of what you have to do is selling. You sell to your customers. You sell to investors. You sell. You're constantly selling. I think another thing is, are you addressing a real pain point? I think you'll find sometimes that, you know, especially in venture capital, because we tend to put a lot of money behind businesses. Um, and we like to do that because we think that there's a very big market opportunity, which goes on to my third point. But you need to have proof that this is something that is you're addressing something that's so painful and annoying for customers that they're willing to pay you money to be able to solve it in the way that you're doing it. And then the third thing is a big market. Um, and this is really important because of the way that venture capital models work. So venture capital makes a whole bunch of bets into a whole bunch of different companies. And because they're risky investments, most of them are startups, a lot of them fail or don't do that great. So why does venture capital do that? It's because they're betting that, you know, the one to five to 10 percent of their portfolio companies are going to be end up like the next Facebook or the next Amazon, the next whatever it is. Right. So that's why for them, it needs to be really clear that at least the potential for companies to get to that kind of scale is there. A few other things that I think are quite important is like traction. Um, and this varies slightly depending on your business model or what that looks like, you know, whether you're more tailoring to customers, whether you're more selling to businesses and a whole bunch of other things that we can also um, go into, like having the right amount of competition in the market, having a you know solid revenue model and things like that. When I started uh, raising as well, it was just like Googling. You just Google everything when you start. And so it's really helpful to hear it from someone who sees real founders and their pitches every day. So thank you so much. We've heard a little bit there about what exactly you do want to see. So it kind of feels natural to ask what, what kind of mistakes you see quite often. Um, you may be able to research and you may think you're selling your product correctly to a customer, but it might be that you're not selling the product correctly to the VC. So kind of what are those common mistakes you come across time and time again? Yeah, that's um, that's a that's a really good question. I think some things where I've seen some founders stumble upon is number one, don't assume that the VC or you, the investor you're talking to actually knows the problem that you're addressing. A lot of the times like founders are for all the right reasons, super passionate about what they're talking about. And maybe they've gone through a personal experience, which has motivated them to, you know, try to solve this problem and everything. Sometimes investors don't actually know as much about that space. So definitely when you go into a conversation with them, try to 
paint that picture for them and say, actually, this is why the problem is so big. And imagine if you were like this, or this is the scale of the problem, because you might have it really close to heart, but they might not. I think especially for female founders, my business, for example, is helping solo female travelers who are usually 18 to 24 um, travel more safely. And I mean, if we're honest, a lot of investors are older men who do not have the experience of being a young woman traveling Europe alone. So um, some advice that I was given on my pitch deck was you have to relate it to them. So imagine it's their daughter, right? Or find a way to make your pain point relevant to them. Have you do you have advice for founders that are that have problems that are just quite unrelatable to a general VC type? For sure. And and I have to say, I've heard a lot of pitches. Um, but I do still remember that picture of the creepy Steve that you had on your pitch in the demo. <laughs> yes. And I went to go see it because I was like, yes, I know this face and I don't want to see this face on my travel. Um, so I thought that that was like really brought it to life for me there. Um, but you. you're totally right. That's something that I found when I had my startup because I was trying to do something around fertility um, and especially also something that involved looking into fertility, not just for women, but also for men. And, you know, it's a tough thing because there's a lot of taboo around that area. It's something that takes a lot of buy-in. It's something that's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. And I think a lot of people you know, don't necessarily, I think it's getting better with the market there and more recognition into that, but it's something that was still hard for me to sell. So I think one thing that I found is that like, look, ultimately the numbers don't lie. And so for me, one thing that I found is like, know, know your audience, right? You know that some investors, you're going to be able to hit them more on the emotional front and you're going to be able to say that kind of thing. Like, look, this is, you know, think about your daughter, think about whatever. You know, I've spoken, I spoke to some investors who were saying that, you know, they'd gone through personally many rounds of IVF and they totally got where I was coming from. Other investors, mm -hmm. I had to be like, look, this is why this is a huge market. Look at all of the people that are having, you know, one in six couples in the UK are having infertility issues. They're spending tens of thousands on treatment every year. This is the market size, as in, you know, this is what the opportunity is here for you. I'm not like trying to like touch your heart i'm trying to say listen this is really a great business opportunity like whether you kind of understand it or not and can i just say one thing like i have experienced this personally firsthand with with femtech but even some of the companies that you know i listen to every day that are in sectors that i have no clue about and the ones that you know really catch my attention are like listen this is the scale of the pro for example i've been pitched loads of companies in the last few months on construction I had no idea about construction, but they're coming <laughs> to me and they're telling me, you know what, like 99% of the market is, you know, dealt by SMEs and they all use pen and paper. And I'm like, oh, my God, OK, we need to do something <laughs> about this. And that immediately really raises to me like, OK, there's a really big opportunity here, even though I don't really understand the market. Now I understand a lot better. I've done so many companies in it. But I think that's a really good way to like always make sure that you're bringing like this is a business investment opportunity. Like always make sure that you're speaking with the numbers if there's the market is there, if the revenue opportunity is there. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting you said as well about the kind of like this is happening. And I think that's another piece as well of advice I got that's really stuck with me, um, which I'm sure you'd agree with, which is that like, you know, if they don't get it, you've got to fully back yourself. It's like this is happening we want to be a leader in this market. You can join us on the journey or not. It's like, I know what's going on. And that kind of belief in yourself and what you're doing 
it comes back to that age old cliche of like, how can you get anyone else to believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? But it's very true, that one. (laughs) 100%. Um, I was just going to say that that also on that on that point, and we can talk more about this in a bit. But, you know, it's also about pitching to the right investor, right? I mean, there's so many different investors out there um, that not everyone is going to get it because not everyone is going to be super aligned on the same sector as you. They're not going to be looking at the same, you know, stage as you. They they might not be looking at the same geography. So, you know, it's not just a question of like, oh, I'm, I'm pitching this kind of idea and the target market isn't you, but just in general, like people are people. They're, you know, not everybody can be an expert in everything. So finding the right investor for your business is super important as well. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I pitched to a woman who had big boobs and I was like, this is it. Like this. I don't even need to explain the problem to her. And she was just straight up like, you know, women don't want this. And it was shocking to me. But I think your point's really poignant because it's really easy to get so disheartened, especially if you think an investor's going to get it. Um, but like you said, some people just won't get on board and that's okay. And you just kind of got to go out there and find the right ones. Another thing that's really important is um, understanding your competitor landscape. So I've had various conversations with founders sometimes who say, oh, I don't want to put some of my top competitors on my deck or I don't really want to talk about them because why do they go fund those companies? So um, that I get your point. Um, I guess the counter to that, what I would say is that, look, investors, when they're going to think about investing in your company, they're 100 percent going to look at your competitors like 100 percent. It's part of their process and they're going to see who else (laughs) is in the market. Um, And actually having some competitors is actually healthy as well, because it shows that actually there's a really interesting opportunity, which is why other people are going down that route. Obviously, a really crowded space can be a bit difficult to penetrate. But nonetheless, you know, I think having a good understanding of who your competitors are, why they're successful or not working and why you differ from them is really good and a great sign to a VC. Remember that, especially when you're raising your first round, um, Normally, you know, some of the companies we talk to are like a few months old, right? I mean, there's really not that much material to the company yet. So really what investors are betting on is not the company, but it's you, especially because things are probably going to change so much. So making sure that you understand your landscape, you understand the market, the problems you're solving is really important. The other thing maybe I would say is like having it clear, like what the use of funds is. Um, So you go out there and you say, okay, I'm going to raise this amount of money. Why are you raising this amount of money? And a lot of the times I hear founders say, oh, I'm going to spend it on um, getting ahead of marketing. I'm going to get a, a software engineer to come in and build this. But really what investors also want to see is what are the key milestones that you're planning on achieving with this money? Because investors are thinking, OK, I'm going to invest now because I think the company is going to be more valuable tomorrow or in a year's time or in 10 years time. So it's important for them to see actually how much can you do with this if I give it if I give you this money. So really, really useful stuff. I think hearing about what you are looking for, some of those kind of common mistakes. Um, So let's get practical. Exactly how should we get VC funding ready, specifically VC funding ready? You know, what are the kind of, or the top four or five things we need to be doing? For sure. When it comes to VC fundraising, it's really about momentum and about FOMO. I'm going to be totally honest with you. (laughs) Like it's so much about like, you know, it's like you're having a party or something and you're telling people that you're doing it. And the sooner that you get people on board and people talking, oh, I'm talking to this person, this person might come and well, amazing. And then all of a sudden it brings like so much momentum into <laughs> it. And then everyone's like, no, I want to come. Can I bring a plus one? That's literally what <laughs> VC funding is like. So it's so much about that. So <laughs> trying to make sure that like 
you set a deadline for yourself and you say, okay, I'm going to start fundraising on this day. And this is when I'm going to aim to close it and trying to make sure that you have all the materials necessary in order to be able to get the ball rolling as soon as possible is going to be great for you. Um, because also bear in mind, all VCs talk. They all talk to each other. They're all like, oh, have you seen this? Yeah, we might be coming in. Oh, are you thinking about it? Yeah, because I looked at it and I spoke to the founder and I really liked it. So just, you know, bear that in mind. So there's a few things that you can that you can do to um, to try to get VC ready. So I think number one is key, your deck. So everybody has it. Everybody does it. There's such a big difference between a great deck and an okay deck. And we can go into kind of what 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 makes that um, great. The other thing is getting all of your like data room and additional materials ready. So investors are going to want to see several things. So they're going to want to probably see some financials and we can go into what that looks like. They're going to want to understand what your market looks like, what your competitor analysis is like. Um, if there's typical questions, for example, that you see that people tend to ask, make sure that you have like an FAQ section so that you don't have to repeat the same thing to every single investor. Another thing that I found is really useful, depending on what your product is, having a demo can be super, super helpful um, because it just really helps to bring the product to life. And you can do that really easily these days if it's like a, a software solution, for example, with like a Loom recording. Um, and it just takes a few minutes, but it just means that like people, investors looking at that can just get it instantly. I think another thing is knowing your key stats. So depending on your business, there might be different ways that you're kind of keeping your KPIs or, or your key performance indicators. So, you know, depending on your business, it could be like monthly, daily or weekly active users. You need to know those numbers and make sure you have that. You need to understand if you're generating revenue, how much revenue are you generating? How much of that is recurring, meaning that it's not a one off payment, but actually, you know, people are, you know, it's like a subscription or something that people keep coming back. Um, what's your burn rate? Really important um, because that helps investors calculate how much runway you have. Um, so that they can understand, okay, if I give you X amount of money, are you going to go bust in like six months because you're not going to have enough to keep going? Or what, what does that look like? Um, and other things such as like your customer acquisition costs, like how much is that costing you to, to, to bring customers on board, your lifetime value, you know, um, and things like that. So we can talk about those. And the last thing I'd say, and I tell this to everybody, is LinkedIn. Investors will always look at your LinkedIn. Make sure it's super, mm -hmm. super polished. Um, I hate to say it, but people unfortunately do judge a book by its cover. Um, it's just the society we live in. So the more information you can have on your LinkedIn and just don't don't give investors a reason to say no to you. Have everything there. It's your main profile and, and have all that information there. Oh, my God. Yeah. I really learned something. There. <laughs> like, honestly, Absolutely. I mean, like you said about judging a book by its cover, but you know, being able to make you out, you know, to be a fully rounded person, why you care about it, having some stuff in your post and your activity. There's a very useful insight. I also didn't know you guys were on a, all like on a VC WhatsApp group, like all <laughs> chatting about all the companies that you've seen pitch. So actually, that's also a nice... It's actually, it's actually really, really positive um, a lot of the times because, you know, that's how we can sometimes help companies get get funded as well right so for example for our fund you know mm -hmm. we have a maximum ticket size we can only invest 150k into companies and normally companies tend to raise a lot more than that so what what do you do with the rest of it we actually can really help founders and say hey listen i know actually this vc who i think could be really interested and we intro that way you know and same way you know yeah. they send you know you a lot of deals as well which actually can be really helpful and can help you guys get more exposure mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's that is something to, uh, to 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 bear in mind. I think just the main thing when when it comes to VCs, like 
they look at so many companies and at so many decks. I think at Fuel, we look at about 400 decks a month, I want to say. Wow. And we end up investing in about 40 wow. companies a year. Um, wow. So, like, and I think there there was a stat that came out that said on average investors spend about three minutes and 20 seconds on a deck, which compared to the amount of time mm-hmm. that a founder spends on a deck is just really painful to hear for <laughs> having been, <laughs> been on that situation. So, like, it's just about trying to give investors, like, as much ammunition straight up as possible to just be like, look, this is why I'm awesome. This is why my company's awesome. Like, here are all of the reasons why, mm-hmm. you know, you, you should invest in us. And I say this, for example, when it comes to creating your deck, I always tell founders, have a slide at the beginning talking about your investment highlights. Think about what are the key strengths of your business. That could be you and your background. Maybe you're a domain expert. Maybe you've got loads of traction already and you've got loads of users using it. Whatever it might be, have that on the first slide. Because sometimes some investors don't even get through to the end of the slide, which is maybe where you have the key things that make your business awesome. Just like it's all about having everything as upfront as possible to be able to like, be like, look, here it is. Let me help you like help me <laughs> get that investment, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Gosh, that's so interesting because I studied entrepreneurship and I've done like accelerators and stuff about pitches and they've never said that to put your investment highlights on the front. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to stand out. And um, also, can I just say that when I first, on my first day of my first job, someone was like, oh, I'm going to send you over the deck. And I didn't know what a deck was because up until work, you call it a presentation, like at school you do a presentation. That's true. When does it become a deck? <laughs> I, I was so lost. That's actually a really good point. I never thought about that. <laughs> Rest of the deck. How many, how many slides? What are we really putting on there? How much are you guys actually reading? Too wordy, not too wordy. Talk us through what's a really nice, simple structure for you guys to digest. For sure. Um, I would say first and foremost, when you're approaching the deck, do not reinvent the wheel. Investors, as I said, don't spend a lot of time on the deck. So the easier you can make it for them to digest, they know that you're going to start talking about the problem. They know you're going to focus on the solution. They know you're going to move to market. Like, just make it easy for them to (laughs) digest that information. So as I said, a few key things that you need to kind of make sure you have in your deck is like, what's the main pain point that you're solving? Um, Why is it massive? What is your solution? And key question, how does your solution solve the problem specifically? Um, Another thing is, what's the market size? So that doesn't just mean like, oh, you know, X market was valued at this amount and is growing by a kegger of X amount. Following from my business, for example, where I was doing stuff to help people with infertility, I was like, okay, one in six couples in the UK, you know, are struggling with infertility. They spend on average 13,000 pounds a year on IVF. On average, women do three IVF cycles, you know, and some of them do even more, like as in really have concrete information and especially about the market you're you're addressing right because sometimes some people talk about a global market but you're only going for uk don't talk about the global market necessarily in that case if you're going global fine but think about really what what does that revenue opportunity look like another thing is competition no need to reinvent the wheel here i always recommend founders to do that kind of like x and y axis thing and to be able to say okay you know these are things that are more manual these are things that are more expensive or whatever you think is like right to position yourself on and just maybe have like some key highlight points of like, you know, why you differentiate against your competition. Um, 
Another thing to make sure uh, include is use of funds as well. So I touched on this before. What are you raising? What are the key milestones you want to get? Traction, super important, super important. And within that, I I think at pre-seed level, it's like, what is your go-to-market strategy? Which basically means how, literally, how am I going to get my product into market? So that kind of is like an early way of saying, like, what is your customer acquisition? Where are you going to find, you know, customers that could be individuals that could be businesses how are you going to tap into that and how are you going to go from zero to a hundred customers and then how are you going to go from a hundred to a thousand because the strategy might be slightly different right um i think those are like the key things and i think don't make it super wordy it's difficult to digest use a nice template you don't need a graphic designer or anything don't spend loads of money on that you can do it really easily on something like canva these days um but also um, make sure you test it out. Um, you will have probably looked at your deck like a million times <laughs> and re- re-shuffled everything a million times. Give it to some of your friends and ask them like, hey, like, what do you think about this? Do you get what we're doing? What are your questions? Like, just show it to people and see if they're getting the same impression that you're trying to put across. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last thing I would say is like one tool that I found uh, founders use is something called Docsend. Um, which is like an element of like Dropbox, but basically allows you to send your deck as a URL as opposed to a PDF. And that can sometimes be really useful because it can let you have insights onto who's looking at your deck and how much time they're spending on it. Are they lingering on a particular page? And you can get some insights from that as well. I'm not sure if it's paid or not, but worth looking into it. Maybe that's something that you're interested in as well. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. I think just, yeah, keeping it nice and simple, making it easier for them to open and read. Um, and follow the story of your company, really. So it's a, that's it's brilliant a story, advice. your storytelling. Yeah. That data room you mentioned, those are the kind of more boring parts <laughs> than the story you get to tell about your yeah. company and then how you ended up there. That's not necessarily part of your deck, right? That's almost like a bank you need to have so that if you guys then follow up and say, okay, I want to see some more, I want to see some financials, you're just ready to send it over. Um and if yes, what, what what kind of things do you ask for? Yeah, for sure. So the the data room is it, like it's it sounds really like exciting. It's not. Um, it's not. <laughs> it's just like a, you can just create it like a Google folder. You can create a Notion page, like whatever is easier for you. It's just kind of like a self serve way, aside from you having to like send a million links to to investors all the time. Just somewhere where you can have like a directory of like all of your key information that you know the VCs are going to ask you like a million times and you don't have the time to repeat it. So one of the key things is your financial model. Now, let's talk about that because at pre-seed, like I've seen a lot of founders get super stressed about a financial model because they're like, I don't have any finances. What am I doing? I don't know. So that's absolutely fine. Um, I think, you know, as pre-seed investors, like we tend to look at a financial model and I don't think we scrutinize the numbers as intensely as maybe later stages. Um, in the sense that, you know, that exact, oh, are you going to charge that exact amount for that service or whatever? We know, we know that even if you put your heart and soul into those numbers and it's the most accurate you could probably come up with, it'll probably change in a week because your model will probably have changed. <laughs> <laughs> Things will have changed. So what we really want to see from your financial model is like the assumptions that you've made. Is there a sound like revenue stream coming from this? Like, does it make sense how they're going to make money, even if the numbers change, you know, slightly? Does it, you know, have they made the right assumptions for the business? Which is why I also say to founders, don't hard code it. Why, by what I mean with that is like often, you know, there's a few different formulas going on sometimes in your financial model. Don't just put random numbers in there um, because VCs actually click on those numbers in that table and see 
you know, the formula on Excel. They see, okay, they've got this number from here and this number from here, which is how they've come up with that number. And that will save you such a headache from then having VCs be like, why is this amount this amount or where did this come from and whatever. Um, And it just shows that like they can understand the assumptions that you've made. And so those are the kind of questions that I think VCs would want to ask around that. Um, Another thing um, is you can sometimes include like a market or competitor analysis. This is particularly useful if your market is like somewhat saturated with some other companies, even if you think you have a really differentiated offering. It just sometimes helps to maybe have a little bit more information on that. If you've received investment before, you can include a cap table, which is literally just a table saying who owns, you know, part of your business and how much they own. Um, I would also say have like an FAQ section or like a deep dive. This this can this can vary, obviously, massively depending on your business, like what kind of like typical questions they'd ask. But that's always really useful. Um, As I said, yeah, demo, having more information on the team sometimes, depending on how much you put on the deck. And yeah, I think it, it depends slightly more on like what your business is, if you want to include anything else. But I'd say those are the key things. Great. It can sound a bit overwhelming, all of these different things you need to have, all the data, all the questions and answers and everything. But I think it's worth stressing that as a founder, you know your business better than anyone else. If you really just sit down with these, all the topics you've mentioned, you'll be able to answer them. I think if you can't, then that's an opportunity to then learn more and dive deeper into what you're creating and how you can make it better. Um, but yeah, I, even I was like, oh my gosh, do I have all yeah. these things? And then I remember, I'm like, yeah, we've been working on this for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, you know, you know, as you said, you know your business better than like anybody else does, right? And so go in there confident. I think there was some sort mm-hmm. of stat that I read where people don't actually like remember like 50% of what you say in conversations, but they <laughs> remember how you made them feel. So just remember that when you're going into a pitch and you're just like, if you really pass on that you're really confident about what you're building, that you really know the problem and the market inside out, that, you know, you know where your weaknesses are and you know how you're going to solve them, because let's be honest, like no business is is perfect. That's going to come across like so much more than, you know, how you answered that exact question on this or, or that or whatever. Um, yeah, I think it can all sound very overwhelming, but just remember confidence is like 85% of it. What's the kind of punctuation point to that conversation? Is it a founder says, and I'm looking for £100,000 in return for 5% like they do on Dragon's <laughs> Den, you know, what's that conversation like? I think I normally, um, maybe some other investors might like disagree with me on this. Um, I think personally, don't talk about like valuation too soon in the conversation definitely talk about how much you're planning on raising and definitely talk about um what you're planning on using that for and you should for sure have in mind like what your you know valuation should look like in your mind the main reason why i say don't talk about it too early is because number one you don't want to um rule out some investors just because you've set a supposed valuation which is maybe you know doesn't really align with them you never you never really i'm not saying like accept an offer that you know you think like oh well my company's valued way more than that or whatever but i'm just saying like if you can avoid talking about it i would because either way it's going to be the the lead investor and so by that i mean you you might have different different investors coming into your round and your lead investor is typically the one who puts in the biggest check and they're kind of responsible for setting the terms of the round so by that it means like you know, uh, what is the valuation? Um, you know, what are the certain, you know, 
what's the structure of the round and they're the ones who kind of do that due diligence on your company so they're the ones who kind of validate okay this is a really good thing and then other investors might come in and say okay we're going to join to the same terms as you so normally it's that lead investor who's going to set the valuation of the round for sure you should negotiate and you should try to have that conversation make sure that both parties are comfortable with what your valuation is 100 percent. but i think you might be in a stronger position to talk about that after you've like had all those initial conversations after they see your data room when a vc wants to invest in your company <laughs> they want to invest in your company and they're going to go all in so you know you can then be in a much stronger position yourself as well to be able to negotiate that valuation i fear i've seen it sometimes with some companies where they put in the valuation maybe a bit too soon in the deck and some investors look at that and be like oh that's too low we're never gonna go for that or that's too high we're never gonna go for that and you might just be ruling yourself out from conversations when you know it's not necessarily something yeah. that's fixed in stone. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Again, comes back to that point of like, don't give them a reason to say no in the initial stages and yeah. just like keep that conversation alive. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. These have all been really important and insightful points. And I think they apply to a lot of fundraising, not just VC. There are a lot of founders who might not know which funding path is right for them. What would you tell them about VC that would make them think maybe that's for me or tell them maybe it's not? There's a lot of options out there, and I definitely don't think VC is right for everybody. Bank loans, uh, you can bootstrap your business, which basically means that you fund it yourself. You can go via angels who are individuals normally who have nice amount of money who can <laughs> provide you guidance and, and, and capital as well. Even like accelerators, for example, sometimes can also provide you with some funding. I've personally gone through two. When you're thinking about venture capital, there's a few things that would kind of tick the right box for you. If you need to invest all that money pretty quickly into your expenses of the business and you don't see yourself generating revenue in the kind of near term. So you find that, for example, with some like software businesses, right, where people need to invest on, you know, developers or whatever to build something before they're able to kind of bring traction. That's point number one. Point number two is if you're not going to be generating revenue immediately or enough to sustain the business and not make it go bust, banks tend to be, for example, a little bit more stressy with that kind of thing when it comes to getting loans. It's important to remember the venture capital model, which is that they're looking most of the time for companies that can get to kind of unicorn size, right? And Unicorn companies and that kind of scale of company is, is, is fantastic, but it's definitely not the definition of success. That can be for some companies, but there's a lot of companies that are amazing and that don't necessarily need to hit that kind of scale and are super profitable and are doing great. One example of that is with crowdfunding. So there's two different kinds of crowdfunding. One is your Kickstarter, which is where people pitch in some money and then you get like a free t-shirt. And there is your, <laughs> there's your other kind, which is more the one that I was working on, which is equity crowdfunding. And that's basically people invest in, you know, in exchange for, for shares in your business and can sometimes also get a free t-shirt um, <laughs> or whenever the business is offering. And that one is a really great way for companies to raise if you have a, a community. So companies that have done really well on that are companies like Monzo or Revolut, right? Because they have, you know, a lot of users. They're all consumer companies where they have a really dedicated group who are really invested into the product. And they're like, yeah, like we, we want to do this. And actually what we found is that with a lot of the companies that did invest through crowdfunding, it really helped them in the business to keep customers and make them really sticky, very loyal, and actually, you know, refer people because you can say, listen, I'm not just like a Revolut user. Like I'm actually, I own part of Revolut and that's what you should do. And you become like an advocate for the business. And that's really awesome. But definitely VC is is great for some kind of companies, but not the right answer for all of them. 
Thank you so much for that answer. It's not just that founders are looking for you. You're also looking for founders. I wonder if you could touch upon what that relationship is like once you get the funding and what it looks like going forward. There's a lot of different investors out there. Thinking about which one is right for you is important. I'd maybe break it down into some key things. Number one, make sure that the investors you're talking to are aligned with regards to stage and geography. You can probably see this on their website. Do they invest in companies in the UK? If they don't, don't even bother reaching out. They're not even going to talk to you because it's just not within their remit. If they invest really early, but you're a little bit later, or if they invest a little bit later and you're a little early, again, nine times out of 10, they're not going to pick up a conversation. That's just the time that you've wasted filling in a form or doing a cold outreach. Another thing, and this will probably come from your direct investor who is going to be coming on perhaps your board. um, And so you're going to be having a lot of connection with them. And also they're going to be having a big say in your business as well is like, what are they like? Like, how do they work with companies? Are they they quite hands-on? Are they quite hands-off? It's really important to think of VC investment as a long-term partnership. I was going to say marriage, but that sounds a bit like... (laughs) intense. But I think it is kind of true (laughs) in some ways. VCs will invest in your company probably with the hope that they'll still be along with you for in that journey for a while. It's really important that, you know, you find an investor that um, is really right for you as well and that really believes in your business the same way that, you know, if you have a a romantic partner, it can be like great and it could be super supportive and open loads of doors for you. Other ones can just be like a disaster and really drag you down. I think it's pretty much the same thing. And the last thing I'd say is the value adds. Dig into what they bring to the table past the check because there's a lot of money out there and you could get money from a lot of places, even though even if sometimes it seems bleak and it seems stressful, there is money out there. (laughs) So, you know, think about what else they can bring to the table. I know that, for example, at Fuel, we found that a lot of the companies that we were dealing with were really struggling with hiring. They found it just really annoying and taxing having to just go through so many interviews. So we brought in an in-house recruitment team that can help you find candidates and kind of cut loads of time from you. How does a founder get in touch with Fuel? Do VCs have websites where you upload your deck? What is the process of actually reaching out? And how would you prefer they reach out to you? Some funds do have like a web form, for example, where you can submit. We do we do have one. Um, and everybody in our team looks at every single entry to make sure that we like assess all the opportunities coming through, you know, fairly. Um, not every VC does. Um, so I'd say, you know, you can find them on, on LinkedIn, drop them a quick note, or if you have their email, a lot of the time, like, it's pretty straightforward. You can kind of guess, like, finds just Joanna at Fuel.Ventures. Like, <laughs> you can just email me on that. If you're going to send a cold message or a cold email, it's exactly what I was saying before. Think about what are the top three things that you want to highlight on your business. Just have the key, like, hooks that you can get them to focus on, and they're more, much more likely to follow up on that. That's great. Thank you so much, Joanna. That has all been incredibly insightful, especially for a founder who is just starting to explore this space. They just received such amazing nuggets of information. Yeah, thank you, Joanna. I know I learned so much as well. And thank you so much for just sort of sharing your experience um, as well as your expertise. Amazing. <laughs> thank you guys so much for, for having me on. Um, anything else I can do to help female founders, you can find me on LinkedIn, drop me a message, always available for support or if you're looking for investment. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Female Founders Weekly with Joanna Griver of Fuel Ventures. Female Founders Weekly was created by myself, Sarah Weingust, the founder of Hostel Pass, and Alex Clothero, founder of Freedom Underwear. 
you can find us on instagram at female founders weekly on tiktok at female founders weekly and with any questions you can email us at female founders weekly at gmail.com thanks for joining bye